Hi, and thank you for joining us again on the Pennsylvania Budget and Policy Center podcast. I'm John Neuror, Communications Director for PBPC, and joining us again today is Mark Steer. Mark is the Director of the Pennsylvania Budget and Policy Center. He's also the chairperson of the We the People Pennsylvania campaign. He's going to talk to us today about Governor Wolf's budget address from last week and the process of passing the budget here in Pennsylvania. Mark, thanks so much for joining us again. My pleasure, John. So first, for members of the public, you know, just neutral observers, not folks like you who follow this very closely, can you, uh, as simply as possible, first explain the main components of the state budget just to set the stage? Sure. Um, when people think about the state government, they often think, well, it's in Harrisburg, so most of the work in, is done in Harrisburg. But the fact is, most of what the state does is done in our local communities, in our local schools and colleges and in nursing homes and in doctor's offices and in hospitals. Uh, between pre-K to 12 education, higher education and medical assistance and long-term care for seniors, 67% um, of the budget uh, is accounted for. So that's two-thirds of the budget is just going in two areas, education um, and Medicaid and uh, long-term care. Um, those are programs um, in, on the healthcare side and the Medicaid side that are half-funded uh, by the federal government. So whatever we spend here in the state is basically doubled because the federal government matches our funding. Um, some of the money for K-12 education and uh, is is matched by local funding, a little bit from the feds. And, of course, some of the money for higher education comes from tuition. And, uh, tuition now accounts for about 72% of what we spend on higher education in the schools as opposed to 27% 20 or so years ago. Uh, the rest of what the state does is things like corrections. Um, uh, debt service takes up about 4% of the state budget. And then there are some other human services, child care, uh, services for people with intellectual disabilities, um, uh, home care services for people who have difficulties and need, need help, things like that. Now, these broad categories don't change very much from year to year, um, and we're not expecting a huge change this year either. So I was on a call with you last week, and you were talking to um, a, a number of advocacy groups about the budget proposal. I thought you gave a great overview of what Governor Wolf um, put on the table last week in his budget address. I know it isn't easy because there's a lot to cover, but can you outline what we heard from the governor last week, um, you know, as, at least as succinctly as you can? Sure. And you're right. It's a big budget. There are a lot of initiatives. So I'm going to just hit some of the highlights. Um, first of all, let me talk about two areas that are kind of connected to the budget where the governor's made some of his boldest proposals. Uh, one is with raising the minimum wage. Uh, he's done this before, but I, I think the governor's really um, focused on this issue in a way he hasn't um, been before. He's proposing to raise the minimum wage to $12 an hour uh, on July 1st to increase it step-by-step, step, uh, 50 cents a year until it gets to 2015. Uh, sorry, until it, uh, He also proposes to increase it step-by-step, step, 50 cents a year until it gets to $15 in 2025. He proposes 
cost of living increases afterwards. And he's, for the first time, he's calling for what we call one fair wage to end the tip minimum wage. Um, we think this is a great proposal. It does have implications for the budget because whenever we raise the minimum wage, we bring in more tax revenues, both on the sales tax and on the income tax because, you know, when we get the minimum wage up to $15 an hour, that's going to add $9 billion to spending in the state and really boost our economy and also boost state revenues. It also reduces what the state has to spend for things like Medicaid and child care and other services um, that people with lower incomes get. Um, it costs a little bit more for some state uh, employees uh, and state contractors, particularly in the social service area. The governor has included money to help uh, pay for the wages of workers in, in home care and in, and in other uh, social welfare services. So that's a really bold proposal, and we think it's a great one. The second one he's put forward is to uh, have a shale tax, a tax on natural gas uh, drilling. Uh, he's put forward that proposal before. Uh, we've been getting it closer and closer to the finish line of the General Assembly, but as we know, there's a lot of opposition from Republicans who both oppose taxes in general and don't want to disappoint the natural gas drillers who give them a lot of big campaign contributions. This year, the governor's proposing something different. Instead of raising revenues to go into the general fund, he's proposing that um, shale tax revenues uh, be used to float bonds that would then be uh, paid back by the shale tax and to use the bond money to make major investments in infrastructure around the state. Uh, he's talking about using it for a couple of different things. One is for broadband expansion to areas of the state, both urban and rural, where people don't have access to broadband. Uh, flood prevention and other um, water projects uh, where uh, we really need some major investment to protect people whose homes and communities get flooded on a regular basis. Um, public transit investment. Um, we all know that investing in public transit um, is environmentally sound. Uh, it helps people with both low and moderate incomes, and it reduces wear and tear on our roads and congestion on our roads. Uh, for urban blight remediation, there are a lot of sites in our small and large cities that would be ripe for economic development if we just cleared out some of the, the chemicals and the asbestos and other things that prevent people from using them. Um, and some other ideas for, for uh, urban and, and suburban and small and city and rural investments that might encourage uh, um, new economic development in the cities. We're, we've had some ideas of our own which we're pushing. We're calling for investment in commercial corridors um, in big cities and small cities and towns as well. So I think that's a really great proposal. We know that we've had a long-term public investment deficit in the state uh, with regard to infrastructure, and this is a major step forward. There are a bunch of other areas where the governor is proposing new uh, um, investments. And I think the point to make here is the governor's priorities are, are basically perfect. He's calling for investments in exactly the areas that we think will best serve uh, Pennsylvanians. Um, he's calling for more money in pre-K uh, after making big investments in that area uh, in recent years. He's calling for new funding for K-12. Um, education, some new funding for our the state system of higher education, um, 
and new funding for workforce development, where after a big investment of $15 million in new funding last year, he's now focused on adding about another $25 million, but also uh, taking charge of the fact that we have lots of different programs in this workforce development area and that they don't always coordinate as well as they might, and they don't always uh, work with employers as well as they might to ensure that um, workforce training is going to help pe prepare people for the jobs that are open and that are critical to um, these businesses and thus to, to the economic advancement of our state. Um, there's also one tax proposal uh, in, a, in a budget that really does not call for uh, a lot of new revenues, and that's to close the Delaware loophole, the uh, the loophole that allows corporations uh, to that operate beyond Pennsylvania state lines, that is international and multi-state corporations, to avoid paying any taxes. And that is about 74% of all the corporations that operate in Pennsylvania. So he wants to finally close that loophole and then bring down the rate uh, of at which we tax corporate profits. Uh, even by after doing bringing down the rate by closing the loophole, we'll bring new money into the state, and we we think that's a a good thing as well. So to step back for a minute, um, all those all those details are really helpful. Um, but overall, you know, now that we have that context. What's your what's your big picture takeaway from the budget proposal this year? Well, uh, two things. One is. Uh, in some of those areas, there's really bold ideas. I mentioned them in the minimum wage and the shale tax, public infrastructure investment proposal. In most other areas, I would say the governor's priorities are absolutely right, but the funding levels aren't where we would like them to be. Um, there's a funding levels for workforce development are pretty good, but in things like K to 12 education, uh, the governor's calling for relatively small amounts of new money, um, and we frankly need lots of new money, and we need to to put it through the funding formula, and we need additional new money to help those districts that have fallen behind before the funding formula was adopted. Uh, we're not going to have adequate and equitable funding of our schools in this state until we have really something in the order of $3 billion uh, in new funding. Now, we weren't expecting that all this year, but we were hoping for a little bit more money uh, in the first step uh, that would put us on a path to, to three billion dollars in new funding. And we didn't get that. Um, the investments in pre-K education are, are good, but we're, we're still not going to get to universal pre-K uh, under this, the current budget, uh, even with the new funding. Um, there's Areas in, in environmental protection where there's in fact some cuts uh, uh, and some reallocation of, of of spending that may make up for some of those cuts, but we really think that we need a lot more money to go for to the Department of Environmental Protection to make sure that we're regulating um, effluence from industries and also pollution from the natural gas industry. Um, we know that those inspections don't occur as frequently as they should, and we don't have enough inspectors. And it's not just our side that complains about it. The, the natural gas drilling industry says they can't get their permits approved. Well, you know, maybe if they pay taxes to fund the government, um, 
we could actually hire more inspectors that would help everyone. So in these areas, uh, you know, we think that the, the budget points in the right direction, but uh, the governor is well aware that uh, the General Assembly is controlled by Republicans who are unwilling to raise taxes. Um, and as a result, uh, at a time when uh, there's already um, a need to close uh, existing deficits that came about because of uh, past budget years where the budget was funded with one-time revenues, um, the governor's spending proposals are pretty austere. Uh, if you look down the, the, the budget sheet that tells you how much money is being added, and you will see a whole lot of zeros in line item after line item. And what that means is there's flat funding for a lot of work that the state does. And since inflation affects the state as well as individuals, uh, flat funding some area of government means you're in fact uh, cutting the amount of money being devoted to it after inflation. Now, good management can, can mean that, you know, we won't lose government services with flat funding, but it also means that there are a lot of areas where the government should be doing more, where we need more public investment, uh, not just to, to take care of the people people who are vulnerable and need help, and not just to, to make sure our kids are trained and educated so that they can contribute to um, the economy, but to provide the, the, the investment in, in public services and infrastructure that enable our economy to grow. And um, while he has the right priorities and where he wants to put the money, uh, the governor's budget clearly is influenced by uh, a fear that asking for new revenues from this General Assembly would lead to an impasse and delays in passing the budget and ultimately might not be successful. Well, that's a good transition because, and, and this is both a political question and, and a process question because I think the process is not clear to most Pennsylvanians, frankly. Uh, but how do you foresee budget negotiations going over the next few months? You know, we're not in an election year, which may or may not make a difference, but um, do you foresee a contentious budget season? And then also, I mean, in, at the same time, where are the opportunities? in that calendar for, for people to engage and speak up and, and, and be able to make some kind of impact with sort of how their, how their elected officials are acting in this budget season? Sure. Well, immediately after the governor uh, presents his budget, um, there's a period of time where both the House and Senate Appropriations Committee hold hearings on that budget. Um, it's a, at the time people come from the departments testify about what they're asking for, uh, answer questions about that, um, you know, defend their programs in some cases, talk about how they're going to perform them in others. It's a time when citizens can come talk as well. And if anyone is interested in coming to Harrisburg to testify, they could reach out to us and uh, we can tell you when those dates are. Um, that process goes through about the middle of March. And then, um, you know, there's a, there's a time when the General Assembly considers a bunch of other things on the floor of the House and the Senate. And then real negotiations generally begin in May. Um, and that's a time when we can kind of push forward with um, work to try to influence the, the result. Uh, and we will be reporting about what we're hearing 
on our blog and, and on podcasts like this. Um, I would say that, that um, it, that's also the time where organized citizens really can be engaged in supporting some of the key priorities that they have. And uh, I should, our key priority this year is to stand behind the governor's proposal to raise the minimum wage and overcome what is clearly opposition in the General Assembly uh, from many on the Republican side um, to get a big minimum wage increase passed with all the good consequences it has, not only for people with low incomes, but really for the 90% of Pennsylvanians uh, who will see their wages go up. You know, we estimate that by 2025, when the minimum wage goes up to uh, $15 an hour, 2 billion Pennsylvanians will have gotten a raise. And that's a, that's a really big deal for everyone because it means there's more money going to the economy. So how can people get engaged in that? Well, we have started, as I think many listeners to this podcast know, a campaign called We the People. Uh, we use that campaign to develop a broad agenda for the state. Um, this year, we're focusing on, on some elements of that agenda, basically six policy areas, um, minimum wage, democracy, uh, higher education, um, and K-12 education as well. Um, a healthcare proposal and proposals to, to fix our tax system. And the first one we're really focusing on is the minimum wage campaign. So if people want to go to our website, wethepeoplepa.org and sign up there, we'll be letting you know how you can take action to, uh, help, uh, raise the minimum wage. And that's particularly important if you have a state legislator, uh, either in the House or the Senate, who's a Republican, because we're going to be asking you to send letters and make phone calls and uh, do visits to those legislative offices and tell them, hey, we really want the minimum wage to be passed. And, and then we'll talk about some of the other things on our on our short list. Um, even if you're, you have a Democrat, um, at this point, it would be a great idea to call your Democratic legislator and say, hey, we'd like you to co-sponsor the minimum wage bill, because we'd like everyone who who's in support of this, uh, to be a co-sponsor of it. So that's something you can do right now. And again, if you sign up with We the People campaign, we will have ways in which people in every part of the state can help move the legislators who are standing against raising the minimum wage and other items on our agenda. And that can help us get a budget that's uh, much more to the liking of, of the folks who are listening to, to this podcast. We'll put information in the uh, episode notes and the episode description um, that Mark alluded to with with links um, to get more info about how you can uh, engage and stay informed. Mark Steer, director of the Pennsylvania Budget and Policy Center, also chairperson of the We the People Pennsylvania campaign. Thank you so much for joining us again today. My pleasure, John. Thanks for having me on. And thank you for joining us as well. Don't forget, check out our website, penbpc.org. There you can find links to our Facebook page or Twitter account, our blog, our policy papers and memos, and, and links to more podcasts just like this one. If you're listening on SoundCloud Cloud or Apple iTunes, uh, don't forget to subscribe uh, to the podcast. Thanks for listening, and we will talk to you next week.